Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. Today we're continuing our series four in part three as we lead up to our four-year anniversary next week. Today we're talking about the moments that we've all probably had between us and our parents or maybe an extended relative where they've tried to convince us that our friends matter and that we maybe should even choose better friends. And that's because the community around us makes a big difference in our lives, and we're going to talk about how we can leverage that principle to make a difference in our own lives as well as the lives around us. So stick around. All right, so a real quick poll by a show of hands, and you don't have to participate if you don't want to, but a show of hands. How many of you at some point in your life had a sit-down or an impromptu conversation with your parents or your guardian, whomever that authority figure was in your life growing up, and they kind of lectured you, had a conversation with you about Picking good friends. Or, yeah, very awesome, yeah. Or it came on the heels of you making a bad decision and then them questioning the choice of your friends, right? We've all probably been there, that a mom, a dad, an aunt, somebody has sat us down and shared with you that old cliche um, kind of question of, like, if, if your friends walk off a cliff, are you going to, too? right? And you sit there exasperated, and you're like, well, of course not. And then you do, not literally, but, you know, metaphorically. Um, and then you're like, oh, wow, maybe mom and dad had something valuable to say. Because the point is, the people who you surround yourself with make a big difference in your life, right? In your job, if your coworkers are not very fun to be around, how miserable is work? Pretty miserable, makes a huge impact on how much you, you want to get up in the morning or, or want to just sleep in because of the people whom you're going to hang out with um, that day. Or maybe in your neighborhood, you know, if, if you have some great neighbors, you're probably friends with them all. Maybe you even hang out or, or sit on, out when it gets um, uh, nice outside. And I know our neighborhood's done like a whole shrimp boil before, and it's pretty, pretty fun and enjoyable. Or uh, maybe you have neighbors that you don't necessarily prefer, especially if you're in an apartment or like a townhome where you have, you know, adjoining walls, and uh, you just hope and pray that when you move in, those people are going to be quiet, right? Or maybe you're the people who are loud. I don't know. Um, or at the very least, that if you decide to become a part of a church community or even visit a church community, the people whom you meet at that community um, are good people. Because you and I just inherently know, just as your parents knew and, and your, your relatives knew, that community, the community that is around you, matters. The community that's around you matters. And um, uh, as I was thinking through this, I couldn't help thinking about uh, uh, crime TV shows or a movie about crime. And then, you know, they get to that interviewing stage where they're in the dark room with a table and chairs, right? And, and they're sitting across from the, the, the criminal or the suspect. And then finally the criminal just breaks and just spills their guts. And then they end the statement with that, that also common line of, well, I hope you can understand, I just fell in with the wrong group of people which is also like every parent's nightmare, that your kids would just fall into the wrong group of people, and it would make an impact on the direction of your life, that you worked so hard to raise your kids so well. But then the wrong people kind of came in and made a difference because the community around you matters. Whereas some of us have also, on the, kind of the flip side of it, I suppose, um, you've had experiences or seen, and, and seen other people experience these things where the community around you matters in a positive way. 
that maybe you, you joined an AA group or a rehab group or maybe like a physical rehabilitation group or a workout group or maybe at, at Infuse, if you've been here a while, maybe you joined a community group and you have seen or you have told others that, hey, this has made a difference in my life for the better because the community that you surround yourself with that is around you will make a significant impact on your life. And the reason that that is such a big idea, or big deal, the reason that community matters is because of this one little word um, that you've all heard of, and we've talked about it before. In fact, we talked about it a couple years ago when we talked about politics, and that word is influence. That the communities and the people in them, because what are communities? People, have influence. Communities have influence. And influence is the ability to affect the character, development, or behavior of someone or someone's, pardon my grammar there, but, you know, it has impact on people's lives, and in big ways. In fact, they're character-building kind of ways, or development ways, or behavior kind of ways. And whether you feel like you are in a community that has influence, or that you yourself are an influencer, we really all have influenced people. In fact, you probably influenced people. If you came here with someone today, you have probably influenced them in one way or another, for better or for worse, if you're married. Communities have influence, and you have influence. And if a bunch of individual yous with influence get together and form a community, that influence is then multiplied. And that influence can then shape whole communities, whole, whole um, towns, states, nations, and even the world. And we're really familiar with some of the historical examples of this. On, on like the good, impactful side, we have things like the civil rights movement. What was the civil rights movement? Well, if you read Martin Luther King's books, his goal was to get a community of people to take nonviolent steps to fight injustice and find equality, to have a dream of equality. And it changed a nation, and in some ways changed the world. Or women's suffrage, to get women to be able to vote. What was that? Just simply communities of individuals gathering together to have and leverage impact. But then on the bad side, you also have the other side, because there were certainly in those kinds of situations, there were certainly people in communities that were trying to combat those communities, that, that believed that discrimination was the right way, or believed that women should not have the right to vote. There's always a flip side of it. There's the other side of it. And that's why as, as Christians or as Jesus followers, and, and we've talked about this the last two weeks, we should leverage our influence for people. We should leverage our influence as for people. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to do that, but I think there's probably something in you, even if you don't believe in God or you're, you're quite there about the following Jesus whole thing, um, that you know that people who are for people are people that you want to be around. They're people you enjoy. They're co-workers that you want to have. And this has kind of been the gist or the goal of the last two weeks of our, of our series for that we should leverage our influence or that we should simply just be for people. Now, I'll admit, and we talked about this um, in week two of this series, uh, but Jesus' followers have not always been on the side of history of being for people. Jesus', Jesus followers haven't always been for people, even though Jesus clearly explains that God is for us. 
that God is for us. And because God is for us as Jesus followers, and because Jesus said so, we should be for God and for people. And though this is maybe an idea that you grew up with and you were taught in Sunday school, this is very uncommon, or another way of saying it is this is very unique to religion in general. And it was when Jesus said it, and I think in some ways it is still today, if you actually get in and read the texts behind religions and their theology and their doctrine, that this idea that God is for us and that, that we should be for God and for people is kind of a big deal. Because most gods in first um, century, second century um, Rome, when, when Jesus stepped onto the pages of history, um, they were all about themselves. Like, it, for example, um, when we talked about this yesterday, or last week, um, that uh, you would uh, first, if you had an issue or you had a problem or you need healed or you need rain for your crops, the thing that you would do first is you would take care of God. And then maybe, if it was convenient, you'd take care of others. Then Jesus stepped in, and Jesus said, no, before you take care of God, before you offer something on the altar before God, you need to go reconcile if you have an issue with your brother or your sister. And that completely shifted the paradigm to say that God was so for us that he wanted to make sure that you take care of all the us's before you take care of him. Take care of the vertical or excuse me, the horizontal, before you take care of the vertical. And imagine, imagine if tomorrow morning you go to work or um, you, you go hang out in a friend's group or kind of whatever your week looks like, you hang out with other people, and they come in and they passionately believe that they should be for you. Or another way of looking at it is before your boss leaves on Friday— especially in those weeks when maybe you're not exactly happy with them or a coworker you're not exactly happy with them or, or maybe a roommate you're not exactly happy with them either, that before they leave on Friday or before they come to church on Sunday, essentially before they offer their time to God in serving or just sitting in the chairs, that they come and reconcile with you and say, hey, you know what, I just, I just want to apologize because I think I could have said that better. Or perhaps on your drive here with your spouse, that what if, or how would it make you feel if your spouse said, hey, you know what, before I offer time to, to, to the Lord, I just want to make sure we're good. I just want to make sure that we've cleared the air, that if I've hurt you in any way, that we could reconcile that, because that is not my goal, because I am for you. I mean, how would that make you feel if you got that text message or they called you up and said that? It'd be pretty life-changing. Now imagine if a whole bunch of yous got together, a whole community leveraged their collective influence for people. That it wasn't just your boss, it was your whole team. They just wanted to be for you. It wasn't just one roommate, it was all your roommates. And they come to you and they say, hey, you know what, we maybe haven't treated you the best, and to be honest with you, we've eaten a lot of your food. That's where the food has been going. We said we had a rat problem, but it's not true. It was really us. We ate all your food, you know, and you just reconcile things. That'd be, that'd be pretty awesome. What if in the classroom for your kids, that your kids weren't just one student and maybe they had a friend, but the whole classroom was for them? I mean, just think of how you feel when you watch those powerful videos online of like one student and then all the students in the class get together and just love on and care for that one student. It's powerful because there is a lot of power in a whole community leveraging their influence to be for people. 
And Jesus, Jesus, or as Christians believe, God in a body, here on earth, God in a body, Jesus knew this principle. Jesus wanted to leverage this principle. And so he started a community of people for God and for people. And that's the moment in in history that I want to bring you to today. And if you've been around Infuse for a long time, we've, we've been through this before, but it's so crucial to who we are as a church. One day, Jesus is walking along, and he asks his disciples a question. He, he stops them and he says, hey, I just want to know who people say that I am. Who do people? Because he's been ministering for a while. He's starting to get some notoriety. Some people are starting to follow him, okay? Not just the 12 disciples. So he turns to the 12 and he says, what do, what are people saying about me? And, and so some of them are like, well, you're kind of like John the Baptist because John the Baptist is kind of a big deal. And then he said, well, other people, they think you're kind of like some Old Testament figures like Elijah because in Jewish culture, Elijah's huge deal, big deal. Um, You're kind of like Elijah. Um, Some people say that you're like Jeremiah the prophet, Uh, and so kind of just bottom line is you're a big deal, Jesus. That's That's what we're saying. And then Jesus says, well, who do you, you who have followed me, you who have experienced and learned from me and seen my behavior and my choices and what I've done, who do you say that I am? And enter Peter, the guy who um, kind of, if you're Catholic and grew up Catholic, um, he's kind of a big deal. St. Peter, he kind of started the church, at least in, in Christian doctrine, um, excuse me, in Catholic doctrine. Um, but Peter, big deal. And Peter just had this incredible ability to not think before he spoke. Maybe some of you could relate to, to Peter a little bit, okay? He's ask, act now, ask questions later kind of a guy, okay? So he just jumps right into the conversation, holds his hand up, and usually Peter was a little off when he did this, but in this case, he was spot on. He said, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. In other words, you are the chosen Jewish Messiah. You're the one that everybody's been talking about and God has prophesied and told us about long ago. You are the son of the living God. Consider that statement just for a second. I mean, how, how many times in your life have you ever had the opportunity to say, you know who I believe you are? The Son of God. That's a big statement. Imagine what Peter would have had to experience thus far to be so certain in at least that moment in who Jesus was. He said, you are the, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies to Peter and said, if you know this verse, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, God played a role in revealing this to you. And then he continues, and he said, And I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this rock. Now, this is a foundational statement. Because what he's saying, on this rock, in other words, on this belief in who I am, on this belief as the Son of God, as God in a body, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and then he's going to go on, but I'm not going to get there yet. On this belief in who I am, implication is this, that if I'm the rock, Jesus, if Jesus is the rock, this rock, when I teach something, it's part of the rock. When I do something, it's part of the rock, because it's not just a word that I say that is the rock, it's literally Jesus who is the rock. So in other words, last week we learned that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor, and so if Jesus taught that, if that is a bedrock principle, the greatest commandment, 
That is part of the rock. That is part of the rock. And this is a big deal because he's going to bring this home and make this applicable to what we're talking about today. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, that faith and who I am and what I've taught and to love God and love people, be for God, for people, I will build my church. I will build my church. I'm the Son of God, and who I am, the very person and what I've taught, what I've showed you, that is the foundation for the church. Now, to really get the most out of this verse, we have to switch into the Greek, because the New Testament is written in ancient Greek. And this word switches to this right here. Now, if you can't read ancient Greek, this is the word ekklesia. And ekklesia in Greek was not a religious term. It was just a common day term that meant a community, an assembly, a gathering of people. Not a building, not a place. At least for 300 more years in the church, it wasn't going to be a building or a place. Then it started to creep its way in to Christian doctrine that, for some reason, this word implied a place. That's not at all what this is. Just a gathering, a community of people. And so Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, a community of people built on me, for God and for people. And that the church, therefore, should leverage its influence for God and for people. And then there's all these other verses that throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, he kind of references like city on a hill. Maybe you've heard of that before. We should be a city on a hill. What's the city? The church. Not an individual on a hill. A city, a community of people. You should be a light to the world. What should the church be? A light to the world. That even if people don't quite get the faith piece, the whole Jesus following piece, the whole God in heaven kind of piece, or maybe you got some issues with God or something like that, um, even if people don't get that, they'll still look at the church and say, you know what? They love in such a profound way. They're generous in such a profound way, almost to a fault. They almost forgive and give grace to a fault. Again, I don't get the whole Jesus thing, but I hope my kids are friends with them. Other kids who go to church because they are just so kind and just so forgiving and just so patient and just so loving. If I could make friends, if, if a coworker moved in, like, you know, there's an open slot and they're going to be hiring someone, I just hope it's a Christian. Because there's just something so incredible about them that I want to be, I want to hang out with them. I just want to be with them because they're so great. Because they're so for people. And then there's one more big piece to this, but, but we'll get to it next week, so I hope you're, you're going to be here next week. But, but essentially, this changes everything for those people who decide to follow Jesus. Essentially, the ecclesia, the church. And it wasn't just taught. Because at least for the first 300 years before we started thinking church in terms of buildings, um, the church did incredible things. And I talk about this all, all the time. Before there was coffee outside and donuts, so we love our coffee and we love our donuts. Before any of that, when the church still met in homes, they would live this out. 
And one of the most powerful examples, and I've kind of touched on this before, uh, uh, about a year ago, this, the, this example. But oftentimes, in those days, plagues would break out. And you, you, you're familiar with plagues like the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague. You know, These were mass, um, essentially, uh, illnesses and eventual death of people. And one of the, the, the worst um, broke out shortly after the church was started, a, a couple, about 150 years after the church was started, and it's the plague of um, Cyprian. Um, and essentially, I brought a map so you can kind of understand. Essentially, this is the Roman Empire in about uh, 200 AD, and, and it, uh, the plague broke out somewhere down here, and it just started to make its way all through the Roman Empire. Because what did people do when people around them started dying in mass. Do you stick around? No, you run away. And what is great for the, what, what is the worst thing you could do if um, you, you wanted to spread a plague or didn't want to sp- spread a plague? You don't spread it. You don't run around. But people would move, and so the plague would start, and so the people who were infected would just run in front of it, trying to get out of it, and in the process, spread it and cause mass devastation. In some historical reports, this particular plague would kill, at its worst, about 5,000 people a day because there was no medication, nothing you could do about it. All you could do is really just lay there and die. But in the midst, and this is what I think is so cool, In the midst of this, there were Christians. There was the church. And as people ran, Christians stayed. And they didn't just stay, they helped. They didn't just watch TV and hope they'd get lucky. They got busy being for people, specifically caring for those who were sick and dying, and burying those who had died. In other words, they were loving people. And the Atlantic magazine, um, which is not a Christian magazine, in their science section actually talked about this in their kind of expose on these horrible, horrible plagues and all the implications of them. And so I brought a quote along fr- from one of their articles. It's in, in talking specifically about Christians. Here's what it said. Seeing the pestilence, so, so as the Christians saw the death and the um, result of the plague, they saw it as an opportunity. Now, I'll be honest, I disagree with the authors on this word opportunity because I don't think many of us, even Christians, sit and look at math death as an opportunity, okay? I think a better word here would be responsibility. I think the Christians saw it all, the horrific and pain and suffering that was going on as a responsibility to put their most deeply held beliefs to love God and love people into action And early Christians dutifully set about caring for the sick and giving proper burials to the dead. Christians died because of this. Most of them completely understood going into it that they were signing their own death wish. But many Christians also survived. Christians began to build immunity to the death. Because for some reason, when other people care for you, when you're in a time of need, even if you're sick, it helps you feel better. And it increased people's survival rate when people cared for other people. 
And then the people who survived looked at these Christians and said, why did you do such a thing? And they said, well, because Jesus told us to. And we're not really afraid of death because the guy whom we follow, he died, and as we'll celebrate on Easter, he rose again. So death is really not an issue for him. And then he told us that we should just love people, and so that's what we're doing. And it not only saved people, but it impacted their communities, and it impacted the entire nation of Rome. See, there was a time when Christianity was not known for what it was against, but what it was for. And over the course of about 250 years, transformed the greatest nation on earth. And it changed people's heart because of this. Because, as the writer of, of Hebrews, um, or because the church was a community for communities. It's just a group of people being four people. Very simple. And people looked at that and they said, I see hope in those people. I see light in those people. That they don't let their differences stop them. Even though I'm sure there were neighbors, Christians, who were caring for their neighbors whom they didn't like, who didn't take care of their lawns as they should, who didn't keep their house up as they should, who played really loud music late at night, and they still went over and helped. They still helped. And then people began to follow Jesus in droves. Not because of guilt, not because of shame, not because it's what their parents did, because none of their parents did. It was because they simply were just overwhelmed by the people who loved like Jesus loved. And the church as a whole was a community for communities. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, um, explains the significance of this, he said, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And how do we spur one another towards love and good deeds? Not giving up meeting together, as some of us are in the habit of doing. Even then, people miss church. I know, shocking. Not giving up meeting together. Instead, when we get together, we should be encouraging to one another. I mean, just think about this. You don't have to raise your hand, but let me just ask. How many of you would love to have a community of people around you who did that in your life, in your, in your marriage, just wanted to bring love and good deeds and encouragement? How would that have helped you through some of the toughest times of your life? If you just had a pe people around you who just simply loved and did good deeds and encouraged you, do you think that would help you to be a better parent or to be a better boss or employee or to be a better single person going through life with all sorts of um, temptations and challenges and things pulling you left and right and you know, all the new stuff online. I mean, it's just, would it make your life better? Could it change things for you and others? Because we all know that even though there are no more plagues today, there are certainly divisions, there are certainly burdens, there are certainly challenges, which kind of summed up what plagues were, minus the death. I mean, as an example, if you've ever been part of a family before, these things have probably been a part of that, haven't they? If you've ever been a part of a family 
is it fair to say that there have been moments where you've had some division in that community? What about in politics today? Do you think there's any of these in politics today? What about in your schedule? Is your schedule so demanding? Is your kids' schedule so demanding today that there's maybe some of these things when it comes to just trying to get it all done? That there are some burdens, that there are some challenges, that, that you may even be brought to, to points of anxiety and stress and breakdown because there's some of this in just your day-to-day schedule? Is there really time for you to make time to be a part of a community that's encouraging and loving you and, and, and encouraging you to be doing good deeds? Think about, think about just our local community, Tiffin and the surrounding area. I think in 2017 it grew, grew by like 72%, and I don't think that's slowing down exactly. I mean, because of the internet, you don't have to get to know the people around you as you once did because you can keep up with all your friends, so why get to know your neighbors? I mean, how many of you can say that you know everyone in approximately like a three-house radius around your home, you know all their names and their kids, and you're friends with them? I mean, have you built a community of love and good deeds around you? I mean, the internet's not a bad thing. I mean, we have some wonderful, good-looking, great people watching and listening online right now. But even in that, even online, there's division and burdens and challenges. So what if, not just an individual or two, what if we all just collectively committed to not be divisive, not load burdens and guilt and shame onto other people, not be a challenge and create stepping or trip people up um, for people, or be a challenge to people, but instead we would go into our neighborhoods with an outstretched hand. We would go to our, 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 our co-workers or, or our, our employees, those whom we have maybe a division with, and we would say, hey, how could we reconcile this? How could we bring kindness into the relationship? Don't you think it would be pretty incredible if the church, the ecclesias, pretty incredible if the church would just do this? I'm not just talking infused church, I'm talking just the church in general. Just for like a month. Think it'd make a difference? Would it make a difference in your life? Our lives? So let me ask you, what community, what community are you actively a part of that's for community or communities? What community, and I'm not just talking your family, I'm just talking in general. What organization or group do you get together with for encouragement where you feel spurred into good deeds and you feel loved and cared for? Are you a part of that is also for communities, groups of people? And if you don't have one, I don't don't want to be like totally tacky, but I just want to say, hey, you could be part of this one. Or if you're part of this one and you haven't joined a community group, maybe you could be part of a community group just spent a week with one of them this week, and it was really awesome, and it was fun, and we laughed, and and we enjoyed, and I felt like we left, honestly, spurred to do better. Or on your way out, uh, we got those um, chicken wire frame thingies that I put together that are really shoddy, but they're still holding up, kind of. And you can look on the left-hand side, you can see the things that we as a church have been for over the last four years of our existence. Or in some cases, you could just remember I don't know, for me it was sometimes remembering, and I, I'm the pastor, but remembering how we've been for people and to not lose sight of that. 
Let's be a community for communities. Let's be a community for community. Imagine what that could change. Imagine what it could change. And that's why in your programs and, and throughout this whole week, we've, we've put in your, there a card, and on the front side it has some instructions. On the back side it says this, what are you for? Because when Stephanie and I, and I've shared this every week since um, we started this series, Stephanie, my wife, sat me down um, at the beginning of our marriage, and, and our, actually just our relationship, I think, and sat me down and said, Taylor, what are you for? What are your values? What are your priorities? I'd like to know. And I'd like to you, n- know if you know. And I'd like to know if how you actually spend your time and spend your money really reflects what you value and what you're really for. And so I just put these cards together to help you to start thinking about this. For you to actively pull those things out and actually write down, what are you for? What are you for? And then last week I asked you to consider, and the week before I asked you to consider in week one, maybe if God had a place on what you're for. And then last week, if people had a place, and then specifically to like think about people like maybe your wife, and maybe your kids, and maybe your extended family. What, who, who in your life are you for? And then what about community? Maybe church. Maybe consider putting church on what you're for. And then to, to use that card, take a picture of it, and then I would love for you to grab a, a clothespin in the back and then hang it on the right-hand um, uh, chicken wire thing. Um, I should come up with a better name. Um, paper holder in the back and and to show other people so that other people can be encouraged by what you're for. And you can use many papers. Next, you can fill out some today and then tomorrow or next Sunday you can fill out some more and put it back there. What are you for? And to know that. And then look through your life and say, in what, it, it was what I'm for, how I invest my time, how I invest my resources. Because I guarantee you, if you put this together, especially if you're married or you're dating or you're in a serious relationship, and you put this together and you live this out, you will get to the end of your life with very few regrets. Very few regrets. That's how powerful these principles of being for God, for people, and for community really are. Now, if you put church on here, because we're nearing our four-year anniversary, we're going to wrap up here, but I just want to invite you, if you put church on there, to think about how you could live that out through our church and into our community. That you would consider serving and giving towards, like, our Love Lives Here event. We, we, Love Lives Here um, is kind of our outreach thing, so when we do community events, we call them Love Lives Here Tiffin events because we just want love to live here. We want our communities to get better. So like the Tiffin Fun Fair, I introduced you to that, or Easter, Easter Egg Hunt. Just an awesome opportunity to love, uh, love people. So maybe you could serve and give to our Easter Egg Hunt. It costs us about um, uh, $3,000 to do through here, right about here. That's about $3,000. So there's a giving portion involved. To get 5,000 eggs is not free, just adds up. And teacher appreciation lunch. We come in here on teacher appreciation day, and we just feed all the teachers a meal, and we love on them, and and just try to talk up our teachers, because our teachers are a community of people who have an influence on the little communities that they serve. Your kids, my kids, our kids, kind of a big deal. So let's, let's love them and be for them. 
movies in the park, something we do through the whole summer. The families can come out for free and sit and enjoy a movie together under the stars, and it's pretty awesome, and we offer low-cost food and all that stuff, so you could, you could get involved in serving and giving towards that. Or this one right here, I just want to tell you how awesome these things are, these block parties. And you say, well, I don't know if I could put on a block party in my neighborhood. We will help you. My hope is this year, year, excuse me, that we would do six block parties around our community. And by we, I mean really you and we help you. But you would go to your neighbors and you'd say, hey, I think it'd be really fun if we just did an evening together. We'll help you get permission through the city. We already have one um, uh, in in Tiffin already. uh, Neighborhoods already got the date set. I think it's going to be in the mid-May. City council's already approved it. It's done. We're doing another block party. That, that communities, neighbors could get together, we give name tags out, and people get to know each other, and it's really, really fun. And we did two of them last year, and it was really fun. Then the neighbors even get involved, and people were giving hay rack rides. It was just awesome to see neighbors come together and to be for people. It makes a difference, and we want to help you do that. So where if you are for your community, the community of Tiffin or wherever you live, or even if you're online, that you would serve and give to be a community for community. So let's be a community for community. This is not, by the way, Christian people, come on. This is not a means to an end. Like, I would love everybody who comes to our Easter egg hunt and our block parties, whatever it may be, love for them to experience and know the love that their Heavenly Father has for them and decide to follow Jesus. But that's not why we do it. We do it because we're four people. It's not a means to an end. It's just an end. We just want to be four people. We want to be a city on a hill, a light to the world. That's the goal. And so, one, think about it. Fill out the card and then hang it up in the back. Even if you are not got it all figured out yet, you just put some things down and figure it out as you go through life. Figure it out next week as we wrap up this series. Or, and if you consider wanting or you want to have a community or be part of the church and you put church on the card, let's take it seriously. Let's be a community for communities. All right, and then be here next week as we wrap this series up, and I tell you the last bit of the important part of being a church, okay? So if you would, bow your heads, we'll pray, and sing a song and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, Lord, I just want to thank you for this awesome community of people called Infused Church. And, and I don't just say that flippantly, I, like, I really mean it, Lord, that we have an authentic, loving community of people, even if it's people's first time today. That this is a loving, authentic community of people that we get to be a part of. That we get to serve one another, encourage one another, spur people on to good deeds. But Lord, let us not just stop there. Let us be a community for community, for communities. And that we would go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our families and the communities that we are a part of and connected to. And collectively, we would love on them just as the early church did. And how they made a difference and how people's heads turned and hearts were changed. And even though we may be an introvert, even though we may not feel like we have a lot of influence, that we would take the little that we feel like or confidently have and leverage it. To that end, to be for God, for people, and for communities.
Give us the strength and the wisdom so we don't forget that as a church. We don't forget that as individuals. And we serve the people around us. In your name I pray. Amen.